the goddamn mother flipper. This son of a bitch. Wow, these mics really do pick up. Mm-hmm. Hello and welcome to Mount Rushmore. I'm Jeff and with me as always are Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. Uh, Mount Rushmore. This is a show where we debate the top four things of any certain thing, and Michael and Richard are the ones who are going to be at odds debating those things. But I, as the judge, get to decide what is going to go up onto the Mount Rushmore, and I'm going to make the Mount Rushmore harder to climb this year. As always, Michael and Richard will have to make a convincing or at least entertaining argument why their choice belongs on the Mount Rushmore. But then I've got my own choices, and I might try to put them up on there uh, on the Mount Rushmore too. Um, So this week's topic is the Mount Rushmore of movies that were never made. Okay, okay. So this, yeah, this was mine, and I've always just been fascinated by, even though I'm not in the industry, the process of how some movies get made that you look at and go, there's no way that should get made. Yeah. And other movies don't get made that look like they should be hits, and then why some movies didn't get made, and you can say, well, yeah, of course that didn't get made. That's horrible. Life. Okay, so uh, Richard has chosen the topic, and Michael, you uh, take your first stab at it. Uh, my, I have four categories this week. Okay. Uh, the first category is called, well, not this version. And doing research, this seemed to be the movie that everyone lamented the most that wasn't made, but like, they kind of eventually made it, which was Dune, but it was Jaworski's Dune. Yeah. Yeah. Where I guess in 19... 19- Ron Jaworski, the former quarterback <laughs> for the Eagles? No wonder it didn't get made. I John- think just... Oh, okay. Yeah, it was. I was reading it, and you know, whatever. I'm, I made the very minimal attempt to pronounce his name. Yeah, I the, might, yeah, his name is oh Jaws. That's why they. That's Jaws. why they call they call him Jaws. That's yeah. why they call him Jaws on uh, the NFL. Joan Armatrading's Dune was amazing. <laughs> what, why do you think? Is it both? Is it? Is it amazing? I've seen the the doc on that. It's an amazing. Yeah. Both why and why it didn't. You can almost see both arguments there. I think it was one of those. What made me think of this was actually a text between you and me a couple weeks ago, Jeff, where uh, Rogue One had just come out. Yeah. And I think you sent me an article about, uh, you know, people complaining about why didn't we get the movie that we thought we were going to get from the trailer. Yeah. And there's been a bunch of back and forth from like the director and the studio saying we shot a bunch of stuff. A lot of it was really cool, and a lot of the marketing department from Disney was just like, "This, we have to use the shot, but it just didn't make it to the trailer, and movies get, you know, the script gets changed, and things get changed, and writers come in, and there's a whole number, like you said, there's a whole number of reasons why a movie is or isn't made, or Richard said that, but Dune, at least that version of Dune, seemed to be one that was way too ambitious way too crazy, was going to be 14 hours long. Well, yeah, Hodorowski was a very kind of cult, avant-garde, surrealist It was going to be psychedelic. And, you know, the people that were attached to it, you know, Salvador Dali was going to be in it. And a lot of the elements that came out of the movie seemed to have been more interesting. Like Dan O'Bannon and H.R. Geiger, who were part of the special effects and the design aspect of it, they went on to do Alien. Yeah. And would Alien have ever come about? Or what kind of a... That probably that movie probably wouldn't have happened without the seeds of it being within this, you know... Somebody was... Crazy setting, other movie. Yeah, setting the template for the space opera and how that was depicted uh, visually. Would we have had Flash Gordon? 
would we've had the Lynch Dune? Well, I mean, you know, people owning the properties and why a movie doesn't make get made, like Richard said, you know, Star Wars was supposed to be Flash Gordon. Yeah. George Lucas couldn't get the rights to Flash Gordon, so he wrote his own, yeah, wrote basically, own. he wrote his own version of Flash Gordon. And you could see how something like this would happen when you have a $10 million budget, Two million of his yeah. spent way beforehand, and then you get to shooting something, and they realize this is never going to mm-hmm. work. One, so, one thing I love about this choice is that it it is one of those did it not get made or did it? Because in a way, the children of this film have been uh, I, I almost, birthed throughout the industry. I almost excluded it for that reason, but it seemed like it would have been a co- a totally different movie, and. and there are reasons why I included it, which we'll get into later with another pick. But it was, it seems like people wanted to see this, or mm-hmm. people, people on the internet, I guess. Right. They're, like people are lamenting that this movie was never made, but, you know, hey, we got Sting. Do you think, yeah, I was going to say, do you think, I mean, come on, guys, we got Sting in. I say that every day of my life. I just <laughs> right. wake up, cross myself. We got, we <laughs> got a, we got a, God for Gordon Sumner. We got a David Lynch Dune movie, which in theory, I can I can imagine if the first version of Dune, if his version of Dune was made, and someone like in 2010 had heard out, oh my God, there's going to be a David Lynch Dune movie. Why couldn't we have gotten to see that one? I think you were kind of lost either way. Or or is do people want lament this version of it because the David Lynch version wound up being such a goddamn mess? That could be accurate too. I mean, it's I love David Lynch. It's not watchable. I don't care what version. There's like three different cuts of it. Yeah, they're all unwatchable. He was a he was a attached to do Star Wars: Return of the Jedi or yeah, he was, Re- yeah. Revenge of the Jedi, mm-hmm. and so was uh, there was another there was David Lynch and there's another David David Cronenberg. Uh, George Lucas had gone to both of these guys and like two guys that seem so very far out out of field of like the Star Wars universe. Oh yeah, and it's amazing that like. I guess not amazing, but directors certainly bring a vision to a movie, and it's a shame that like the David Lynch yeah. Dune one was just well. It's it, had Lynch not done Dune, maybe we would have uh, gotten John Hughes Eraserhead. <laughs> well, okay, uh, Michael. Michael came out swinging with Hodorowski's Dune. Richard, what's your first? So my first one is I think a movie everyone deserves to see, because um, when you combine Jerry Lewis's talent with the comedy settings of Auschwitz. How can you go wrong? And I'm, of course, talking about the day the clown cried. Which, if you're not familiar with it, I will just summarize it as briefly as I can, which is essentially a clown gets sent in a con- to a concentration camp and decides to become a clown for the kids in the Jewish section, which is right next to where he's at for pol- political prisoners. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, sounds freaking up, hilarious. Winds up getting sent to Auschwitz and, and is tasked with sending, with calming the kids down as they are loaded from the boxcar to the gas chamber. Huh. So, you know, yeah. wa- wacky comedy. Wacky comedy. Now, this is, for those who listening thought they might have been told the plot to Jacob the Liar, which was the Robin Williams right. film. This is with the, in, this was... Later, late era, Jerry Lewis. Was this one he also directed to? Oh, yeah. He directed. This This was like his passion project. Yeah. Supposedly, Harry Shearer has seen this. So there's people who have seen this and have required eye bleach to unsee the things that they've seen. <laughs> so the, seen. Fil- the film was made but not 
released. Yeah, there was mm. basically the person who originally financed it didn't wind up only wound up paying a fraction of what he owed to get the rights to the film. And Jerry Lewis put like $2 million of his money into it anyway and then could never secure the rights. And they all decided it was so awful it should never see the light of day. But to Jeff's point, yes, there have been a select few people who have over the years seen it. Harry Shearer is one of them. And I think in it, they, there was an article in Spy Magazine about this back in the 90s. And one of Harry Shearer's quotes is like, I think he says something to the effect of, it's like going to Tijuana and seeing a black velvet painting about Auschwitz. Wow, that's hilarious. You just look at it and go, mm-hmm. this is so wrong, but somebody is trying to like get a heartfelt sentiment, sentiment about something out. Yeah. But it's so poorly done and just inconceivably like I was going to ask, in spite of the obviously the touchy subject matter and maybe like a questionable, like he probably approached it with a certain sense of, who knows? Yeah, I think. You know, I, but I like, I guess the question: What was outside of the subject matter? What was so bad about? It? What was so eye bleachingly? I think. I think also you cannot separate that from Jerry Lewis's maudlin uh, identity on telethons and things like that, and mm-hmm. the maudlin. Uh, so we, we've seen guys like Mel Brooks deal uh, very humorously with the very touchy subject of of Nazis and Steven Spielberg turning them into very effective bad guys, but I think Lewis. And his cloying, maudlin performance almost seemed to be needing so much attention. And so yeah, so much, yeah. so like the character was originally written like Carl Schmidt, and he was supposed to be a former like circus clown, like successful who had fallen on hard times because he was a total dick to everybody. Hmm. They changed the char- of course Jerry Lewis gets attached. They changed the character's name to Helmet Dork. Yeah, <laughs> and he goes from being like this kind of you know jackass like self-important character to kind of this Emmett Kelly sad sack who's actually not a good clown, but he doesn't realize it until he gets in front of the kids in the concentration camp who all love him. So he becomes like this Pied Piper leading the kids into the constant, into the, the showers. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I, that was, that was, that was every review of the potential movies. <laughs> sure about this boys. So yeah, it and, and it was exceedingly poorly funded. So people who have seen it have just said it's, you know, any shot where there's supposed to be a crowd, it's just shot against black because it's like, oh, it's an artistic choice. No, they didn't have any money. It's zero people. So they couldn't get a crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me read you from the Spy Magazine article. I've actually got it up. Here is uh, his reaction to the producer asking him to play the part. Why don't you try getting Sir Lawrence Olivier? I mean... He doesn't find it too difficult to choke to death playing Hamlet. And he shrugs and sits back and thinks about it. What a horror. It must be told. By the way, Richard is recording this uh, sitting on a stool. It's all black behind him. There's a single spotlight shining right down. You gotta get a spot on one. Glavin. And, uh, <laughs> oh, Glavin. Oh, my Glavin. In a perfect, perfect impression. All right, so... Um, <laughs> it's so bad. I mean, like, there, uh, earlier this earlier this year... About 30 minutes of the movie actually was dug up. There was, I think it was a German or Dutch, I think it was Dutch, uh, documentary that had been shot around the making of it that obviously never got aired, but someone found it. So there's about 30 minutes of the movie that's been able to be pieced together. Hmm. So if you go on YouTube, you can see just how just terribly conceived and poorly executed 
this thing would be. I mean, even like you mentioned Jacob the Liar, which kind of wound up becoming, they tried to remake this at some point, and Life Robin is, Williams was attached. Life is Beautiful was ultimately kind of a wacky guy in a concentration camp. And, 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 and you watch that again, and it's not that great. It, it really doesn't work. But at the time, I remember thinking like, wow, they actually pulled this off, and that would be impossible to pull off. Picture not being able to pull that off on any level. Uh-huh. That's Jerry Lewis <laughs> as a concentration camp clown. Okay, so this is controversy. You know, I think I know the guys, uh, and I think I know what kind of answers they're going to give. And I love that they always challenge the categories when it comes to uh, what we discuss here. But sometimes Richard even challenges what he, what we think the, the question is or what we think the topic is. So we've kind of blown it up here from Mount Rushmore of movies that were never made to movies that were never seen. Or made, perhaps. So uh, we've each leveraged our first... We've each put in our first... Uh, these guys have each put in their first choice. Michael, what's your second? My next one is under the category of Missed Window. And that is Beetlejuice 2, Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. Oh, good gracious. And this was a potential sequel to the 1988-87 movie uh, Beetlejuice, obviously, uh, by Tim Burton and it was written by uh, a gentleman named Jonathan Gems. And this partially might have been written as a joke. As his hol- and his holograms? <laughs> I don't get that joke. Gems. Gem and the holograms? Gems and the holograms. Oh, I should have got that joke. I'm, I'm more mad at me than mad at you, although I should be, <laughs> you mad, should at, be mad at me. I should be mad at you, but I'm going to... We're all clearly mad at our listeners. I'm giving myself uh, Indian burns. <laughs> but basically, it was a sequel uh, to Beetlejuice that kind of started getting a little bit of traction, Hmm. you know, because it was a successful movie. Maybe it didn't make a ton of money, but it made enough. And uh, basically the minimal plot is that the Dietzes buy property on Hawaii. And of course they buy it on like the top of some sort of ancient burial ground or over some sort of volcano gods, whatever. And Beetlejuice follows them there. Wait a second. This is a a Brady Bunch episode. They probably (laughs) use some of that script. I mean, you know. To uh, to make, uh, you know, a Beetlejuice movie. Yeah, was Tim Burton attached to it? He was. He okay. was. He was supposedly going to direct it. Eventually, he left to go make uh, another. He went, he left to go make Batman. Yeah, and never uh, heard of it. What a poor career choice. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, I think I love the idea of this movie just because it's Beetlejuice in Hawaii. Apparently, at the end of the movie, he was going to win some big surf competition. <laughs> And just the like the visuals of all of that happening, probably with that, you know, a Danny Elfman score. Yeah. And, uh, you know, set against, I'm sure, a very 1950s or 60s yeah. visual look plus, you know. I feel like I'm doing a mind meld with you. And I, I think both of us are maybe imagining Tim Burton's touches when doing Pee Wee's Big Adventure and applying that to a Beetlejuice film, perhaps. It had that, that kind of silly, campy, yeah. uh, you know. But I think this, you know, there have been, you know, even as close as the last couple of years with uh, Michael Keaton's kind of return to popularity after Birdman and Winona Ryder kind of being super popular after Stranger Things of like, oh, let's do another uh, Beetlejuice sequel. And, oh, only if everybody gets involved. And listen, this movie's never get like this movie, Beetlejuice 2, Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian, which is just an amazing title. It's insane. It's insane. And it's weird because it's like, it's one of those titles that seems too campy but would only work if it happened then and there and happened with tim burton attached and who knows what he's working on now but 
I just I I want to see that movie, and it's a shame that there's probably only scraps of it in a a PDF online oh, yeah. someplace. Allow me to read because I, I, I was researching this at one point. Um, Beetlejuice takes the job, but also uses the afterlife version of Rohypnol to make Lydia fall in love with him. The two hook up, and Lydia even agrees to get married to Beetlejuice. See, I don't want to that, see that. Yeah, maybe. you don't want to see that. <laughs> maybe there are some. Maybe there are some aspects that came out of like the Beetlejuice cartoon where they were like best friends. Yeah, but uh, eh, I don't want to see that movie anymore. Okay, uh, Richard, what's your second choice? Okay, my second choice is a movie by someone who seems to have a lot of issues getting his movies made in the way he wants to get them made, and that's Terry Gilliam. And the movie is The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Also on my list. Oh, is it? Yeah. Not Donkey Bodie from uh, the Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. Different character. I like that. Um, the f- I noticed that a couple of my choices. The movie that was made was a documentary featured a documentary about how this movie was never made. Yeah, it was a disaster. Whether it's uh, the the Dune movie or it was uh, Lost in La Mancha, right? Which is a great documentary if you guys yeah. get a chance to see it. Um, basically. Terry Gilliam has a, a, a history of having documentarians on his set, partially so if something goes really wa- wrong, he has his own version of the events that he can kind of fall back on. This was under my category of cursed, and you could imagine that, uh, like just reading about this movie and seeing how, from the go, it was uh, it was just never going to get gonna off happen. the So it was... Um, started being I don't know shot but at least conceived in 1998 had a budget of about 32 million which was none of it came from the US it was all like French continental Europe funding uh, you don't want that money that's, that's all money. tainted money yeah what smells oh our budget our budget <laughs> smells like <laughs> surrender and the the basic plot is Johnny Depp gets ends up going back in time he's like a modern person who goes back in time to uh, and winds up meeting like an older Don Quixote as he's still tilting at windmills or whatever. As with any Terry Gilliam film, I can't quite understand exactly what's happening in the plot. Yeah. And they get ready to shoot. Everything's going well. And then let's just say a series of, of uh, incidents happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, the um, actor they hired to play an aging Don Quixote, uh, Jean Rochefort, Spent seven months learning learning how to speak English for the role because he was he was French. He didn't have a great uh, grasp of the language. Turned out, um, the first day they realized that he had such a bad back and like other like uh, medical issues that he couldn't ride a horse. It was like physically painful. Like he needed a hip replacement. Which, if you're you know, spoiler alert: there's a lot of horses. Yeah. In the Don Quixote story, I like. I like that aspect of it, especially... What if I were to be on a Segway? (laughs) Would that work? Terry, Terry, I have an idea. This will save the film. What if I am in a A sob? I am driving a sob. You could tell this movie was doomed by the fact that uh, insurance sucked up $15 million of the $32 million (laughs) budget paying off this guy's medical bills and the insurance claim against him. Yeah, (sighs) it was a double herniated disc. Which is not what you want from your... Well, that should be fine, because once it gets herniated, then it gets herniated back. Re-herniated. If he had a triple herniated disc, that would be an issue. But once it gets double herniated, then it's good, right? <laughs> Does Gilliam not know when a French actor says, Terry, it hurts a lot. <laughs> no, we'll just come to the movie. 
<laughs> How did he not know? Maybe, maybe, uh, like God cursed him from the fact from like all of the little animations he did for him on yeah. Monty Python. Yeah. He's like, stops. that's that's not me. <laughs> Fuck this guy for the rest of his life. I'm yeah, um, you with a foot. Or he thought he was French and was like just complaining about anything <laughs> yeah. and everything. So that happens. Uh, the first day, first day of shooting, their first location is near Madrid, like this kind of barren area that's north of it. Which, when they scouted it, didn't realize it was right near a military base. So every half hour or so, these military jets would come screaming right over the top of them. Wow. Um, then the second day, a giant flash flood comes and washes away basically the entire set and all their equipment. And then the locusts come. And then, locusts <laughs> and then come there's the frogs. The frog. One of my... Uh, the other great aspects of this is that he's st- like he's so persistent about this movie. Like he has this vision that he won't let go. He's still trying to make it today. He he. There's a version of yeah. it that he's trying to make that has Adam Driver attached. Oh, and and Michael Palin. And is he? Yeah, oh. as a he's playing a, a the Don Quixote. And yeah, it got delayed again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just got delayed because they, they didn't have funds. Yeah. We're at our halftime here at Mount Rushmore, and we want to invite you to take this moment, even just while you're listening to my, the dulcet tones of my voice, to go and download, rate, and review all the back episodes on iTunes. We have a whole year of this show on iTunes, and we'd love for you to become familiar with them. Uh, your rate and review uh, does really mean a lot to us, and it means a lot to the future fans who might want to find this podcast if they enjoy it. Also, join us... Also join us on Facebook where we have a thriving online community of people who are talking about the choices and the picks and the categories and are suggesting their own. So we've done episodes of this show based on the suggestions from our uh, loyal fans. Also, there is Instagram where you get to see the cover art from our iTunes. And Snapchat, girl, it's going to be coming, yo. (laughs) And, And if Instagram is good enough for Tom Brady who recently just picked Instagram as his next social media outlet of record. Like, he literally did the high school football thing where he had hats of, like, Instagram and Snapchat. Oh, he did? And LinkedIn and a few others. And then filmed himself making the choice. Oh, my God. <laughs> Goat. Greatest of all time right there, boys. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, um, and also, you know, you can follow us on FlipZap. I just thought of that. FlipZap. Nobody else, please take that. It's FlipZap. I don't know what it is. Trademark. I just said trademark. So well, you said trademark? Yeah, uh, we're good. Okay. No, it's for the show. It's for the show. Mark, the only mark we need is Zuckerberg. Dude, fun flip zap. <laughs> so we're back. Michael and Richard doubled up on La Mancha, so Richard's going to go to his third. I've doubled up on La Mancha a couple of times, but that's a <laughs> family show. We don't need to talk about that. By the way, every once in a while, I'll, I'll make a comment sort of double entendre-laden like that. And Vivian, my daughter, listens to the show every week with Sarah. There's been a few awkward conversations we've had over the, uh, apparently, they'll, uh, they'll get home after listening to an episode and Sarah go, so yeah, about that episode last week where you said, they have hmm. seen, they do see the big red E, right? That's next to our, our list for explicit. I, no, I, oh, I thought the big red E was just for everything is great <laughs> for everyone. So, um, so my next one is, I think the first two were ones that probably would have been Certainly, the, the the Jerry Lewis one would have been crap. It's debatable about uh, the Don Quixote one, but this is one that seems like everyone really wanted to see, and it just never got made, which is Crusade, um, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, sure. And uh, directed by Paul, Paul Verhoeven. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was going to be, I think, 
oh, I'm trying to think what year this was. I think it was like 1990. This is probably going to be like a late, probably late 90s post-Terminator Schwarzenegger at the height of his Schwarzenegger-ness. Schwarzenegger-ness, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, it's like 98. So, essentially, it was their take on the Crusades, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, but, obviously, with the two of them, you're going to get a lot of fighting, a lot of blood and guts. That was the Crusades. A lot of space lasers, well, a lot well. of space spiders. Oh, wait, I'm, I'm mixing up some of my Verhoeven yeah. <laughs> films. Um. And apparently the script was fantastic. Part of the problem was that it was very much a balanced take on the Crusades. So Arnold Schwarzenegger plays a surf turned thief who winds up almost oh. getting hung for being a thief and um, winds up performing a fake miracle to get out of it. And they see that and go, well, you'd be a perfect person to fight in the Crusades. So like the Pope gets him, the evil Pope uh, gets him to go out to the Crusades and that's the thing. It sort of it shows the fact that the Crusades were just awful all around and that this was a perfect example of Christianity, you know, oppressing and terrorizing everyone else. That Oddly was, enough, that made it hard to get made. It's weird because that seems like something that would have a lot of traction nowadays, like showing sure. a balanced side. Maybe in the in the late 90s, it would have been like, oh, we can't do that. We would offend too many Christians. But like if you made a film nowadays that kind of showed a more balanced more yeah. realistic version of the crusades i think people would people would be more offended if you didn't yeah like you would right. be on the the hot seat for that i do love arnold schwarzenegger in any film oh sure where uh he's <laughs> you know he's like uh he's just one of the people yet he is built like you know yeah two two brick shit houses yeah it's like there's there's just that lowly surf why is he six foot two, three hundred pounds, and all muscle? Uh, whatever, What's you know. Where was that movie where he was? He a, moves rocks. A year or two ago, where he was like a sheriff in yeah. like tech, West Last Texas, man standing. I saw that. Like that. And they always have to write in like this sort of like. Well, I just got stung by a bee, so I'm very swollen for the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> they have to write. Always, yeah, they always have to write in that thing where it's like. When well, moved, you'll know when when I moved over here when I was seventeen to yeah. join the army. But yeah, I always think that was funny, the justification of Arnold. Or in Conan the Barbarian, where he's lashed to a, a grist mill of some kind, yeah. and then all the other children die. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. He starts off like relatively small. Yeah, he's just and then, a little right. kid, yeah. But if you spend your whole life pushing one thing around and all the other kids die, then well, you have incredibly developed lats somehow. Well, that's, that's, how, that, that, that's the workout that I've been doing at my local 24-hour fitness. They've got just a big mill there. So this movie had like a great cast attached to it. It had Charlton Heston mm. as Pope Pope Urban II, kind of scheming and trying to get this the whole crusade happening for his own political and financial reasons. Well, I don't know. It late, had a, or late '90s Charlton Heston. I don't. Hey, you saw Ra- on that. you saw Wayne's World too. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> okay. Um, it had Robert Duvall. Had Jennifer Connelly was attached to it, and it was like ready to go. And I, there was an interview with with uh, Arnie, as I like to call him a few years ago and he basically said it had a hundred million dollar budget and Paul Verhoeven like sets were made and everything and Paul Verhoeven just started going nuts and like over budgeting everything and the producers asked him so how are we going to keep this thing under budget and he kind of goes what do you mean keeping it under budget that's not a good way to get a movie uh, <laughs> greenlit either so I would have loved to see this I know there's been some 
talk over the years of trying to get this rebooted with different actors. And I think this is one that um, would actually work. Like you guys said, um, obviously very relevant to today. Um, turns out that um, instead of funding uh, the Crusade movie, uh, uh, Carolco, which was the company that was uh, financing it, yeah, uh, wound up financing uh, Cutthroat Island. Oh, good choice. Yeah, really worked out well for every. <laughs> don't spend that extra twenty many twenty million dollars on a Schwarzenegger Paul Verhoeven film. No, and we need more Gina Davis as a pirate and Matthew Modine shirtless. That's what's going to make us money. Okay, Michael, you're up. Uh, my last choice is under the category of produced to death, and that is the death of Superman slash mm, Superman Lives slash AKA Superman Lives. Both basically one in the same film that never got made. This was also a Tim Burton joint um, written by Kevin Smith, at least initially, before it was kind of taken out of his hands and then rewritten and rewritten. And uh, I, I like this is one of those any sort of Superman film seems like it would be a. OK, let's rephrase that. Superman 4 was not good. The Quest for Peace was really a terrible movie. And I'm guessing that people had this in mind when they start to when they're starting to give money towards a new Superman project. Uh, the producer on this was John Peters, who uh, he had a, a few different things that he needed to have in the film. One of them, Superman in a black suit, which was fine in the comic books at the time. Superman had died. Uh, this was right after, I guess, in 93, Superman had died mm -hmm. in the comics, and he was put in this Kryptonian suit, and he came back, and he looked cool. Is that when we had, like, the multiple Supermans, like the, the he, black Superman, John Henry Irons, I think it was? Yeah, had Steel, had Superboy, had the Eradicator Superman, and there was a, a fourth cyborg Superman. So, like, the property was pretty hot again because they killed him off. So, one of the, one of the stipulations, Superman in a black suit. Cool. Superman could not fly, which... All right, you go back to the original Superman concept. Yeah, he and he just, just jumped. Le he leapt over yeah, buildings. Yeah. Okay. Um, Superman had to fight a robotic spider at the end. This is where things start to get like... Didn't he have to do that because the producer really likes spiders? Yeah, you will later see the spider turn up in the movie Wild Wild yeah, West. I, well, that's hilarious. That was produced by John Peters. Uh -huh. So it's amazing when a producer gets his hands on something yeah. and influences the script and the production to the point where he, like, he's obsessed. He's got to have his spiders. He's got to have his spiders. Yeah. i got to have my spiders in this yeah. movie. It's Superman doesn't fight wasn't spiders. He, like we were talking about Spielberg. Wasn't he divorcing a robotic spider at that point? I think <laughs> and he was just trying to get back at her, I think. <laughs> so those were the, the outrageous requirements. Oh. Oh, there were more. Uh, Brainiac uh, was a character in the film, possibly to be played by Christopher Walken, which... Oh, oh I forgot to mention. Uh, Nicolas Cage was going to be Superman. Yeah. And there's, and there's like footage you, of this. If you see the production stills of Nicolas Cage in this long-haired wig and him just being so geeked out, because he's like a big comic books fan. Like, he did Ghost Rider basically because he needed to be in a comic book movie at some point. But, and also money. So Cage is Superman. So Cage is Superman, Tim Burton directing, Kevin Smith writing, John Peters producing. Hey, how, what can go wrong? Well, everything. everything. You know, they end up dragging their feet on the production of it. Tim Burton, like the script keeps getting written and rewritten and Haston keeps changing. And then Tim Burton's like, uh, I'm out of here. And he goes off to go make uh, Sleepy Hollow, which ended up being That's pretty, pretty successful. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a nice move. Pretty fun. And it's just one of those movies that, like, there's too many cooks in the kitchen and there's too many things that had to happen. And, like, 
I almost didn't include it when I mentioned earlier because of Dune. Because, like, a few years later in 2002 or three or whatever, like, Superman Returns came out uh, by Brian Singer. And I really liked it. They kind of mm-hmm. played him a little bit more strange. It was... There like was, an actual alien. Yeah, there were there and there were nods to, uh, there were nods to like the first two Superman movie and kind of they ignored the yeah. Richard Pryor and the yeah. Quest for Peace ones. So I, so that movie probably would would have only gotten made because this one didn't. But I would have loved to have seen whatever this creative endeavor would have been, like a Tim Burton Superman movie. You know, he did Batman and the first two Batman were great and like of course you're gonna want to dig your hands into another material, especially when you see a character as Superman is, as like this alien. Yeah, if Superman were Edward Scissorhands, this cast-out weirdo who was had these powers that were both uh, his his strength and his weakness at the same time that distanced him from people, yeah. that would be pretty freaking cool. Do you, I feel like this was like, okay, Neapolitan ice cream. It's vanilla, the boringest flavor. It's strawberry, the pussiest flavor. And it's chocolate, a pretty good flavor, but it's not like anything, you know. It, but if Neapolitan were mint chip bubblegum and, you know, like cookie dough or something, it wouldn't work because it'd be the, these three eccentric things all in the same bowl together. Yeah. It seems like that's what that movie was, right? It seemed, it seemed like it. And eventually the budget was cut from $190 million to $100 million to they were just like, well, we're just not going to do this Sock anymore. puppets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it just uh, eventually it became you know like dune did and like uh lost in la mancha did it just became fodder for another making or unmaking of or making right. of documentary of things that just never happened and i you know i love that aspect when i'm watching a movie like when i watch the lord of the rings i don't just want to watch the lord of the rings i want to watch the making of documentary and yeah. the commentaries and uh my wife emily like loves the design work that goes into the costuming and is always like that's that shit is just so amazing yeah i remember watching the criterion edition of hamburger the motion picture <laughs> really gets you in depth <laughs> i think what it shows a little bit is sometimes there's dangers when everyone involved is such a fan of the basic concept or the the, the brand that's underlying it or the character in this case of superman that it's it's hard to divorce them from their personal belief and love for what that character should be. Yeah. You know, Kevin Smith, obviously a giant Superman fan, giant geek in general, um, has very, had a very specific vision for this. And from what I understand, it was more of a soulful rumination on kind of dying and aging and, and what it would mean to actually be Superman, mm-hmm. which the studio's never going to want. I mean, yeah. they don't they want... want it, they want a giant spider to fight Superman at some point. Yeah, and the, so you've bear. got that kind of, you know, cross between the two. And Kevin Smith, you know, if he starts to see that happening, he's just going to walk away. Hmm. And Tim Burton's got 20 other things he can work on. So if he, th- he thinks the studio is meddling too much, he's going to walk away. He's got a backlog of striped things. And striped... <laughs> <laughs> like all, just all these different also, swirly patterns that he needs to put someplace. I got to get this in a movie, guys. Also, he was insisting that Hell in a Bottom Carter play the spider. <laughs> <laughs> the studio didn't like that. And I kind of just... Okay, uh, Richard. So I think the only thing that could have been worse than Jerry Lewis at Auschwitz is what this was, which is E.T. 2 Nocturnal Fears. Oh, okay. So this was a sequel that... Um, that name is hilarious. It, it sounds... Yeah, there's nothing 
Never you put nocturnal in a no. movie? No, no, no. Especially about movies with kids involved? Mm. <laughs> mm, that's asking for trouble. So, um, Steven Spielberg and the writer of E.T., Melissa Matheson, got together a couple years after, pretty soon after E.T. became this huge hit, and put banged out a nine-page outline in about like a week or so of writing. And it's a bit darker than E.T., it kind of picks up with the same kids, um, Elliot and, and Drew Barrymore and all the wacky cast kids. And they see another spaceship come. And turns out that their character, there's aliens who look like E.T. except they're albino. And they're from the same planet. And they really don't like the brown-skinned aliens. <laughs> so they're oh, searching wow. for them. Uh, they're looking for uh, E.T. whose real name is Zrek. Um, and they're basically evil. And they wind up eat. They're killing. They, they're on Earth. They just wind up killing forest animals with mental powers for fun. Um, they wind up kidnapping Elliot and his sister and torturing them for information about where Zrek is. Wow, it's like they're reading my mind. <laughs> with Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, we got the darker, darker Spielberg. It sounds like the darker, darker Spielberg. At but, hand. But darker. I mean, these are kids. How old Ellie was supposed to be, what, 11? Something like that? Yeah, maybe. Getting Not t- even. I mean, yeah. he was like nine, maybe 10. Yeah, getting tortured and thrown in a cell with with his younger sister who got tortured. Uh, yeah. I, know, I, I know that Spielberg, you know, a, a lot of these guys tend to hold on to their ideas if they're, they're never fully formed. I, I believe that um, the television series uh, Falling Skies that came out four or five years ago I think he Spielberg was like executive producer I think he exercised a lot of his like I've got all of this good ETs invade the earth material in my head that I still need to get out let's throw it on a TV show and call it something else and there you go and then it ends with ET showing up at the very end to rescue them saving the day and then flying back off to his home planet Making like just a just listen. A, suddenly, he turns into like Arnold Schwarzenegger to go back to this, just sort of showing up at the end I mean, with like to, guns ablazing. I would like to it's see kind of Gandhi too, a little bit. I would like to see the early ET, you know, where he's like skinny, and then by the end of it, after he's turned that grist wheel, he's this huge <laughs> buff, buff ET. Uh, well, that you got people don't realize Reese's Pieces is actually a good, good, good form of uh, protein. So you just load up on that. Well, what You're is ready it, to go? Is it what aspect of this uh, potential sequel? makes you so interested in it, Richard? Because it makes me angry. It makes me angry that Steven Spielberg even thought this was a good idea for any point of time, enough to actually work on a treatment for this. You know, later on he said, well, I don't think we would ever do that. It would rob the original of its virginity, which is exactly what he said. Which again, nocturnal fears, virginity. Let's quit quit it. Vivian, go to bed. Yeah, good night. <laughs> Turn this off. Come back next episode. we Come back Fine. 20 years from now. But it's, this is Spielberg at his peak. And at some point, like, nothing clicked with him. And it's obvious he was itching to do more, I don't know, adult, non-action, kid-based, or, you know, kind of the stuff that he made, had thought of when he was a kid, the types of movies he wanted to make, yeah. like kind of these this- serials and, and sci-fi book movies and stuff like that. Okay, uh, so... This is the point where I, the judge, stall a little bit before I make my choice. And just a reminder, we're changing things up in terms of the judging this year on Mount Rushmore. 
where I'm in charge of the mountain here. I get to decide what's carved in, and I'm not going to pick an entire gentleman's choice. That sounds like something you'd a gen- gentleman's get, get, choice get at the whorehouse like strip club. Yeah. <laughs> Mm, out around the world is too expensive for me. I would like gentleman's choice. Up next on the stage, it's Charity <laughs> performing the gentleman's choice. <laughs> Why is it just a pogo stick? You're not a true gentleman. So I'm not going to pick just one or the other of these guys. I'm going to pick and choose buffet style from their choices. And one of those choices might be something I choose. My choice this week is something that's both the sequel I always wanted and the sequel I always hated. And that was Blues Brothers 2000. So Blues Brothers 2000 was kind of a compromise of Dan Aykroyd and John Lantis' original screenplay for Blues Brothers. The Blues Brothers that we saw in the theaters, which I adored when it came out as a kid, I couldn't imagine having my mind blown any farther than to see these cool SNL Blues Brothers guys who I'd seen on TV and then be introduced to R&B. You know, I'd heard of James Brown. I've heard of, uh, I loved Ray Charles. But there was a lot of music from Aretha Franklin and Cat Calloway and the Stax record uh, rec crew that was just a mind-blowing thing and a rebirth of the movie musical. I thought it was amazing. And then Ackroyd got fat. And then Ackroyd got old. Fat And then John Belushi got dead. And then they put out this trash fire of a movie, The Blues Brothers 2000, which just seemed like everybody just kind of nodding to this original brilliant production of their youth. But it was a lot of the same plot that Ackroyd had t- tapped out in, in uh, Blues Brothers Meet the Voodoo Queen. They go down south, they, they encounter the birth of blues or the origin of blues, and there's all this great stuff that happens in such a hackneyed, horrible way. Landis talks about the studio making them add a kid, so they added this Brody Buster kid. They had to add John Goodman. They had to do all the stuff. So it was just a thing that you wanted to have happened and then you wished would never have happened. Was uh, James Belushi, as I believe he's he's known among the uh, literary set. The James Belushi. Was, was, he, was he involved in that? I don't know if he ever was. He was not in the film. Yeah, but he does like the, the crappy Blues Brothers like, like rip-off thing. Yeah, so that was my choice. The Blues Brothers meet the uh, Voodoo Queen. And were I to have a second, it would have been uh, inspired by Michael, your choice. And that is this movie that's still listed as in development with... Um, Danny DeVito with Arnold Schwarzenegger and with Eddie Murphy, Triplets, the sequel to Twins. Oh, boy. Yeah. That'll be horrible if it ever comes out. But I can imagine it being interesting. So, Okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, it is the second episode of Mount Rushmore for the new year, and it's now time to list, with my granite chiseling sound effect, the faces in the shape of movies. Wow, it's a lot like the uh, end of... Uh... The dragnet. Yeah, yeah. The Come Mark V. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this one little hammer that you imagine Jack Webb did himself. Okay, and so ah, here is the Mount Rushmore of movies that never were, to our mind at least. And the first, because these guys agreed upon it, they each get a point for The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Yeah. Okay, so it's tied up. All right, uh, the second, because of Michael's effusive discourse on uh, what he thought this could have been and how it could have been amazing and how it could have been so different, yet so inspired by the original Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. Uh, it comes in second. And, oh my gosh, here's it's a Michael Streak, Superman, and the death of Superman and Superman Lives. I really enjoyed your impassioned discussion on how you thought it 
was kind of beaten to get to death, produced to death, and what it could have been. And then coming in fourth, Crusade. And what I think is so interesting about this is like, I know that, you know, Richard observes the film industry and stuff and how, how uh, films are made and how they become bloated and how you get uh, action stars who maybe are a little bit past their prime, but still pretty awesome, like Schwarzenegger. But then you slather on another past their prime action star like Charlton Heston. And pretty soon the uh, film almost becomes sunk by its own ego. So, so those are the choices of the uh, films that never were for this episode of Mount Rushmore. Um, it's been great talking to you. As always, I'm Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. 